Okay, you get a lot of me today, but it'll be okay. Let me tell you the plan. We are continuing our sermon series that we've been on, on the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, what a tough text. Man, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's like you get no rest from it. It just keeps hitting you over and over and over and over again. And so thank you, holy lights that just hit me. And so, and then, so here's what we're going to do. I, I'm, going, I'm going to give a relatively short talk, hopefully. And then at the end, I have a few people that I've invited up uh, to share. We're going to interview that hopefully allow us to deal with some of the pragmatics of what Jesus is talking about in our text today. And so, so but, but before we get there, let's, let's look at where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we'll kind of see where we're going after that. So we started in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12 with the Beatitudes. Sean gave the talk, great talk. And the Beatitudes are really the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. This is the thesis statement for the entire sermon. And, and in the Beatitudes, Jesus lays out for us what type of people belong in the kingdom of God. Who is the kingdom for? And you remember what it says. The kingdom is for, for the, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then really everything else that Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount is him unpacking what it looks like to be poor in spirit and meek and merciful and hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, he's unpacking these ideas for us. And then we move in to the next section, which is this salt and light passage. And, and this section describes how Christians should live and relate to the world in light of the kingdom of God. And the call here is to live as ambassadors and witnesses is trying to help people taste and see that the Lord is good. The salt being the good deeds that preserve the, the, the values of Jesus in our world. And the light being the message we proclaim to people, pointing people to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our only hope for forgiveness from sins and restoration with God. Salt and light, that is what we're called to be. And then for the past several weeks, we've been in this passage from Matthew 5, 17 through 48. And it's this passage about Christ and the law, that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. Jesus is not obliterating the law. Jesus is coming to fulfill the law. He's validating the law down to the word. But what had happened is the Pharisees had started viewing the law and the righteousness of the law as something that was merely about external behavior, external behavior modification versus a deep indwelling heart righteousness that we get when he comes in and gives us a new heart and mind when we're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the major themes of the Bible is that, that people tend to look at the outside attributes and actions and behavior of others, but God peers into every person's heart, looking for the, the, those who are fully committed to him. And so we have heart righteousness that works itself out into action versus just behavior modification that happens on the outside. You see the difference? And so this morning we're moving into a new section of the sermon. Uh, and this section really deals with how we apply this deeper righteousness to our lives. We are out of Matthew 5. And we're heading into Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus gives five examples of ways we can practically apply this heart-level righteousness 
to our lives. And so this is, this is eminently pragmatic for how we live and follow Jesus faithfully in our lives. The, the examples he gives are, 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 one, giving to the needy. That's our passage today. Prayer, we'll talk about next week. Fasting, treasures in heaven, and, and worry. And we're going to unpack uh, all of these things, asking the question, what does the righteousness of the kingdom of God look like in practice in these different areas. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. This is our passage for today. Let's, let's talk about it. Here's what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word to us. Amen? Amen. Okay, the first principle that I see in this text, and this is a, a principle that it's, it's one of the great principles of the Christian life. It's something that, that we all, I, I tend to struggle with this. We all tend to drift from this thing, but it's, it, the principle is this. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. You need to tattoo that on your forehead so that when you look in the mirror, you see this every day because our propensity is to drift towards this inherent egotism that thinks the world, the cosmos, my very life is centered around me and not him. But it's not about me. It's about him. And Jesus begins this passage with a warning for his followers not to practice this kind of me-centered, me-centric righteousness. Verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And what Jesus is telling us here is there seems to be a kind of righteousness that purely wants other people to see you doing things so that you're on display. It's, it's purely to be seen by others. This kind of righteousness is not concerned with faithfully following Jesus and living out his values here on earth. Instead, it's about putting on a show for others so that they might look at you and say, wow, look at that guy. He's amazing. Look at that girl. What a servant. And it's about you receiving glory instead of God receiving glory. And what Jesus calls the kinds of people who do these things is hypocrites. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And hypocrite was a Greek word that meant actor. And so this term describes someone who puts on a mask and pretends to be something they're not. A hypocrite is someone who's, who is one thing, puts a mask on, and pretends to be something that they aren't. And most of the time, people act or behave hypocritically uh, because there's some benefit involved for them. It, it's socially or politically or religiously expedient for them to act or behave a certain way around a certain group of people. And so they will put on the mask and play the game and, and do the show. And, it's, and, and they're not really being real, right? And we all kind of struggle with this, right? We all kind of struggle with this. I, I remember very clearly, I was a junior in high school. I hadn't yet accepted Christ. And I remember it was a summer, it was summer, it was a Saturday morning, it was 6 a.m. I woke up to mow our family's yard all by myself. 
And before you get, oh, wow, Josh, that's really impressive. You were a very responsible teenager. Well, I did this because I wanted my parents to view me as that. I wanted my parents to see me as the kind of kid who's very responsible, who would wake up without being asked and do this thing that's beneficial for the family. Because I wanted to store up those chips of favor so that I could cash them in at some point. You ever do this? And so I remember that they woke up that Saturday morning after I was mowing the yard. They were just gushing over me. Jaw, you're amazing. Wow, your brothers are terrible. We hate them. And, 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 uh, and they said, this is amazing. And I just played it off. Well, of course, well, it's easy. I mean, this, of course, I would do this because I am this kind of kid who would do such a thing for you, my, parent, my beloved parents. And, uh, and at the end of that, I said, do you mind if I go to this party later on tonight? <laughs> And it's something that we all have this tendency to do. We put on a mask in order to gain some kind of reward. I don't have time to get into it today, but in this passage, three different times, Jesus talks about reward, the reward. Seven different times in Matthew 6, he's talking about rewards. There is a motivation, a reward that comes when we faithfully follow Jesus. And he says, seek that reward. What is that reward? I think it is that the kingdom is for those who live out their faith with God's glory as their reward. The Beatitudes lay out rewards all over. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What a reward we get to see God. That's what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom is not for the me-centered. It's not for self-glorifiers. It's not for those of us who think the world is all about me. It's about him. It's about him. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, Some people think there's a bit of a contradiction happening here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Right here in this passage, it tells us not to practice our acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. But in chapter 5, we're actually told the opposite. You guys remember this? Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So, I mean, what's going on? What do we do? What's going on here? Do, Do we practice righteousness in secret so that only God sees what we're doing? Or do we, do we practice our righteousness out loud, living as light so that people can see our good works? What is the distinction that's happening here? I, I think the thing that Jesus is emphasizing here, the distinction he's making here is this. Motivation matters. And he's not talking about those, those motivational posters you had on the wall as a kindergartner. Maybe there's some here. He's not talking about, get get after it. He's talking about what is the the, the arrow in your heart? What is it pointed toward as you're seeking to do things in the world? Is it pointed toward God or is it pointed toward you? Are you doing something for him or are you doing something for you? And in these two passages, we see two different statements of motivation. In the first passage, the motivation is this. So that people may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So what's the motive? What's the motive? The motive is the glory of God. I live as light, doing good things in the world so that people may glorify my Father in heaven. That is my motivation as I work. That's what he's talking about in Matthew 5. That is a good reason to practice your righteousness before people so people will look at Jesus. But the other motivation, the second motivation, is different. What is it? He says, Their motivation is in order to be seen by people. Don't practice your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And so the motivation here is for other people to see how good you are or righteous you are or amazing we are. This is people who who want glory for themselves. They're self 
self-praising, self-glorifying, self-adulating people who just want people to look at them and say, that person is something special. I really like that, what I see in them. It's a people-pleasing that's really about self-pleasing, right? When we do things so that other people will be pleased, it's really about pleasing something that's happening in ourselves. It's about us and not about him. And this is a bad motive for practicing your righteousness before others. And so you see the tension here. The tension is self-glory versus God's glory. It's me-centered versus God-centered. It's, it's where is the arrow of my heart pointing? And so a question for us to ask as we do good stuff is, what is my motive? What's my motive? Do you ask yourself that question? Do you stop and take time to examine your heart and ask the question, what, what is my why right now? Augustine says, Lord, help me to know myself that I may know thee. Because the irony is if you never take time to know yourself, you will become completely self-absorbed. Isn't that interesting? I need to take time to be self-aware so that I'm not self-focused. Weird. Interesting. So what is my motive? Is this about me or is it about God? Am I trying to glorify Josh or Jesus? Who is this about? Now, before I move on, one more thing I want to say about this. Human beings are very rarely as black and white as I just laid out for you. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't wake up and think, you know what, today I am just going to glorify myself. Today is going to be all about me. Out of the way, child. Throw them out of the way. Like that, that, we don't tend to do that, right? That, that is not how we tend to operate. Instead, we are more this mixed bag of motives. We have competing natures and desires that live in our hearts, constantly pulling and tugging us in different directions. Life is not so binary as we sometimes think. It's not so black and white as we sometimes think. And what tends to happen is sometimes in our mixed bag of motives, we either pay too little attention to our motives or we pay too much attention to our motives. Let me, let me explain. People who pay too little attention to their motives, who never examine them in the mirror of God's word or weigh them in the council of community, have a tendency to drift toward the type of self-focus and self-glory that we just talked about. If you never take time to reflect, life will just be all about you. Stop, examine your heart. Where is the arrow pointing? That's one ditch. But the opposite is also true, and I think every bit as dangerous. People who over-examine their motives, people who get hung up on their brokenness, who analyze and strategize but never step out and get busy for the kingdom, those people are guilty of another kind of self-focus. It's a self-focus that shuts them down and paralyzes them as they wait for the perfect motive. Oh, God, but before I go, give me the perfect motive. They wait for the perfect attitude. And I call, I call this analysis paralysis. You just analyze and analyze and analyze and sit and wait, and you never actually do. It's perfectionism that ends up paralyzing us. And what tends to happen when we're in this frame of mind, if we wait for the perfect motive before we start practicing our righteousness, we may never get started. Because, listen, since Adam and Eve, God has only ever used sinful, imperfect people with mixed motives. Only ever. And so for us to think, oh, 
God, I can't step out and serve you. I can't step out and do good for you. I can't step out and practice my righteousness for you because I'm so broken on the inside. What we're really saying is my brokenness is bigger than God's transforming power. And that is another type of self-focus. That's another type of self-glory. It's making your sin bigger than God's glory. And so they're both self-focused. They're both they both lead to this place where, where, where it's all about us. God delights in our stumbling. When a parent delights in, in their child who's learning to walk and they stumble and fall, God, just like that, God delights in our attempts at obedience, even when our hearts are not perfect and pure because we're trying and we get up and we try and he's there with us. Your heart and your attitude in that is what is key. And so what should we do? What, what ought we do? In light of this, we should live our lives oriented toward God. Where is the arrow of your heart pointing? We should take time to examine our hearts in the mirror of his word. Because if you're not reading God's word, if you're not looking at the mirror of his word and letting it read you, then you have no true north. You have no place to, 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 to sharpen your inner desires. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, illuminates it, and brings about transformation in the lives of his people. That's what God does. And then after you examine your heart, you know what you do? You get busy. You step out. You work. You make something happen for the kingdom. And when you do that, you beg God, Lord, protect me from bad motives. Help me when I have bad motives. Lord, give me pure motives. If he ever says, Josh, hey, hey, you're, you're making this all about you. If he ever says that, then you stop and you repent and you beg for forgiveness and you make sure you surround yourselves with people who are going to be able to call you out on those things. There's danger in isolation because we don't see clearly. We don't see ourselves clearly. That's why we need other people. And then when God reveals that, we repent. And then after we repent, you know what we do? We get busy. We, we obey. We practice obedience. That's what he's calling us to. This is the central teaching of this passage. It's not about me it's about him. If God can use Peter, if God can use Peter to be the leader of the early church, the guy who denied Christ three times and was semi, you know, bigoted and didn't want to sit with Gentiles, if God can use that guy, he can use you, okay? And so the question for us is, are we going to be like these Pharisees who toot our own horns, or are we going to live a life oriented toward God with his glory and his reward as our goal? Okay, next principle. And I think this is more implicit, it's more implied in this text, but I think for us as Western individualistic American hedonists who think life is all about us, we need to hear this message. And, And the next principle is this, Jesus expects you to get busy. Jesus expects you to do good works. Jesus expects his followers to do good works in his name. And when we are so caught up in the self-focused, self-glory game, we rarely take time to look outside of ourselves and see who are the people that God has called me to love and serve? Who are the ones that he's laid out that, that he wants me to be the hands and feet of Jesus? And so he wants his followers to do good works. God sees all people and cares for everybody who is made in his image. And there is an explicit command in Scripture, and we see over and over and over again that God has a specific, a, an explicit concern for the most hurt and poor and vulnerable in our midst. Verse 2 says, when you give to the needy. It doesn't say, if you give to the needy. It doesn't say, if you 
you have time between soccer practice this week to give to the needy. It says when. When you're expressing your faith in this very real tangible way to the most vulnerable in your communities, here's how you should do it. That's what he's laying out here. There is a biblical mandate for followers of Jesus to care about the people Jesus cares about, to serve the people Jesus serves. And this is, this is specifically and particularly for the most vulnerable in our midst, who over and over and over again, God identifies himself with. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, If you insult the poor, you insult the Lord. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, If you give to the poor, you give to the Lord. Or Jesus himself, later on in Matthew 25. Remember what he says? Sheep and the goats. Terrifying passage. He says this. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. When we care for the most vulnerable, you know who we're caring for? Jesus. When we're serving the most vulnerable, the poor in our midst, you know who we're caring for? Jesus. And do you remember what the, the people say to Jesus in response to the parable of the sheep and, goat, sheep and goats? Remember what they say? They say, Lord, when did we do this? When did we serve you? When did we care for you? And I want you to notice that these people weren't glory thieves. They weren't the ones keeping track of all the good things they did in their lives. They, it's almost like they had forgotten. They just lived a good life, and it was just a natural part of who they were. And they're like, when did we do this? And he said, when you cared for them, you cared for me. When you cared for them, you cared for me. And so a real part of righteousness in practice is caring about the people God cares about and loving the people that God loves. And we do not do this to earn God's love. We do not serve to earn God's love. Rather, we do this because we are motivated by his love. This is one of the, the, the many areas where Second Temple Judaism just got this wrong. There is, there's some apocryphal writings that, that laid out for, for the Jews during the Second Temple that, hey, don't collect gold, don't store these things up, care for the poor, and if you do that, then your sins will be forgiven. Let me say this. In no way does the action of caring for poor people forgive you of sins. In no way does doing acts of justice forgive you or cleanse you from unrighteousness. Uh, Acts of justice are not the gospel. Works of justice are not the gospel. Rather, they are a result of the gospel working itself out in our lives. The gospel was an event, an event centered around a person, the incarnation and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we embrace that gospel message by faith, you know what it does? It shatters everything inside of us, and he rebuilds it. And then now the arrows of our hearts are pointed outward, and we see people like we never saw before because we have the eyes of faith and the love of God. That's what the gospel does. You don't live out the gospel. The gospel was an event. But you let the implications of the gospel change everything about the way you live your life. Okay? I want to give you an example of that. And so what I want to do with our remaining time here is invite a few folks up front who I think are living out these principles in a beautiful way. People who are living as if it's not about them, but they're audacious enough to believe, maybe God wants to use me to do something in the kingdom. And and I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. Isn't it kind of awkward to say, let's teach on the passage that says, don't flaunt your righteousness before others, and then you invite people up to flaunt their righteousness before others. (laughs) But here's what I think this is. 
This is people letting their light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? And so if I could have John Mark and Stephanie Laney come on up front and Brandy Hayward and Shay Diamond. Why don't you guys go ahead and come on up. And we have a microphone somewhere, theoretically, if it exists still. There it is. And uh, John Mark, thank you. Here, why don't you take this? John Mark and Stephanie are... They're normal folks. Uh, John works at Walmart, and they've got several children. They'll tell you about that. And they are involved in foster care in our community and work with an organization called The Call. And Brandy and Shay are normal folks, members of our church, who decided, you know what? We want to step in and help meet a need in our community. So they've been involved in a ministry to help feed uh, and, and care for and build relationships with some folks who are housing and food insecure in our city and they have the audacity to step in and start it. I just want to interview them, ask them some questions, and then at the end we'll open it up for questions to everyone. Is that okay? No, we're not going to do that. Um, let's start with you guys, John and Stephanie. How's it going? Good. Okay, good, good. Your voice sounds very manly this morning. Um, tell us this. How did you get involved in this whole foster care thing in your life? What happened? Sure. Um, so it's probably about three and a half years ago. Uh, first of all, that's my family. Um, they're a beautiful crew. Um, there's five of them, and the thing you don't see there is the five other children that have been in and out of our home over the last three and a half years. Um, and it started for us with a discussion very much like this down at New Heights Fayetteville, and we just walked out feeling very, very convicted of this idea that um, the, to pursue the kingdom is an action plan and we owed more action. Uh, we were living a life, and we were cruising along, and things were going good, but this was about upsetting the normal and doing something different. Um, a handful of things came together. Uh, many people in this church were a part of that. Um, it started with a pamphlet on someone's desk at work that I asked a question about, which was, what's the call? Um, and that really started to stir the conviction. Um, Stephanie bought something off a of yard sale junkies, and we ended up at the Fankhauser's house, <laughs> which if you don't know... They, you know, have a ministry where they care for foster children um, using his profession and some other things. And just things were coming together in a way that were just impossible to ignore. Um, and so we dove in about three and a half years ago, and we stand here today. Um, we took about a six-month break, but we're about to open up this month and about to get back have into another it. run at it. Stephanie, tell me this. Okay, your mom, you've got a lot of kids. A lot. Okay. And, uh, and... This seems crazy. Like, why, why, would you, why would you open up your home? Why would you do this? Why would you disrupt normal in your life? Tell us about your process in the middle of that. Yeah, so if I'm being totally honest, John Mark was way more, um, he, he, he was able to embrace the idea of foster care a lot easier than I was. <laughs> I saw the need, um, but I was like, oh, my, you know, we have four kids. Um, my heart was really open to adoption, the bring them and keep them. Um, forever, but that um, idea of bringing them into our home, loving on them, and then send, you know sending them back home that that scared me. And even more than that was my kids, and you know this was a decision that we were making that was greatly going to affect them, and so um, affect them. And like I knew it would hurt, and I knew it would cause them some pain and some discomfort. And so um, I started praying about it. Being, and being very specific with God about what my concerns were. And one day while I was praying, he just laid on my heart, um, Stephanie, your job as their mom is not to give them a comfortable life. And it's not to necessarily make sure they're always happy or free from pain. 
your, jo- your main job is to teach them about me and how to be an extension of me. And I just went to him, and I was like, That's, that was God saying go for me. And he just gave me the peace that I needed. And so we look at foster care as that's our family's ministry, you know, and that's how we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Wow, wow, praise God. John, tell us about the call and what your role is with them now and kind of what they do in our community. Sure. Um, so the call, many of people in this building have probably been um, engaged at one point in time, um, was founded by Ann Maythaller and her husband, Carrie, who um, go to church here. And they just basically went through the traditional system um, to become foster parents and were just bogged down. It took them 10 months to do it. It was so hard to do. So Ann had this vision of simplifying that process and specifically recruiting Christian homes to become foster parents um, and really using that as a ministry. And so they engaged about eight years ago in doing that and have launched a very successful organization. Um, There's 200 homes open in Northwest Arkansas to about 600 kids, by the way, so not where we want it to be. Um, The good news is, though, about 80% of those homes were recruited, retained, uh, uh, trained by the call, which is specifically a ministry-based process um and so just the the thought of those homes being open in northwest arkansas being good christian so you're homes. talking 160 something of the 200 yes. homes wow. wow yeah and so um wow. that's our mission though it's recruit it's train and equip um christian families to be open foster homes in northwest arkansas wow. Wow. um quickly i missed this on the second service so i'm gonna make sure i say it here i mean on first service is one of the things that was important for us early on and the call has really done is created a community, right? It's a community in Northwest Arkansas. And as we've grown, people know the word call home. And when you're a call home, we relate, right? You're one of our people. Um, and we know that we have the same kind of problems and that kind of thing. And one of the things that I want to make sure that we offer um, to the church um, as just part of our experience and was done for us is just, if you want to come over and have dinner and talk about foster care, like, Please let us be those people. I'll cook you a nice steak. We'll feed you a nice dinner. You can observe our chaos. Um, you can ask all of the hard questions um, that are so important to ask. And a lot of times that resource is one of the things that missing, is missing. Um, but the, the call represents that community aspect as well, which is just that. Yeah, you have the support network around you. Stephanie, t- uh, there might be folks in the room this morning who are feeling that same conviction, and they say, we want to do something what advice would you give to the folks in the room who are saying, hey, we, we feel called, what would you tell them? Yeah, if you feel called or you have just a curiosity or just something that you find yourself thinking about, um, I would really encourage you to really dig into that. Um, is it a curiosity or is it the Spirit speaking yeah. to you? Um, and so because I feel we like can have a lot of good ideas and good intentions, but it's not God, right? right? right. Yeah, right. yeah that's And great. though, for me, there's a million reasons why I shouldn't foster. And mm-hmm. I could tell you, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to foster, but oh gosh, and here's my million reasons. And you'd say, yeah, girl, you don't need to foster. <laughs> and we could all agree. And so, but I feel God's called me to it. And so therefore, yeah. I'm, we're, as a family, we're being obedient. Yeah. Um, so the, that would be the first thing I would say. The second thing would be, um, we don't always want to do what we're called to do. And that was where I was about six months ago, um, or eight months ago, actually. Um, our girls had left. They had been with us for 22 months. Um, my heart was in a really... I mean, it was broken. Um, there was, I had lots of emotions. I was about to have a baby. I was three weeks away from having Remington. And so I, we talked about this being a break. And, I, and in my mind, I was thinking, we are never doing that again. <laughs> this is too hard. Um, wow. And so we continued to talk about it. And a few months ago, John Mark said, Stephanie, do you want to foster again? And I was like, I mean, if I was really honest, and I want to be honest with you, no, I don't. I don't want to foster again. 
that was where my heart was right then. But I said, I feel like this is the calling that we have on our life, and wow. I'm gonna, we need to be obedient. And so wow. we started the next day. I called DHS, and I called the call, and I let them know that we were going to reopen. And we started just walking in obedience. And God took that fear and that doubt wow. and, the, you know, just being apprehensive, and he's replaced it with just this overwhelming joy and excitement for what's coming. And so wow. I, I say if you, um, if you just don't want to, but you feel like you're supposed to, just go, go forward, and God will provide. Yeah. And then the third thing is just being confident in your calling, you yeah. know. And when doubt comes and fear comes and, um, and all the reasons why you shouldn't, if you feel called, just walk confidently in that. That's really good. That's really good. John, there are a bunch of people in this room who probably don't feel called to do this. And that's okay. God doesn't call everybody to do everything all the time. But we're all called to do something. And so w what would you say to people in this room who don't feel called to fostering, but what is something they could do? To, to support foster families? Yeah, um, there's there's a bunch of needs. Um, first and foremost is, is I mentioned there's um, 200 homes and 600 children. And as you can see, we have five of our own. If we were doing our fair share, we'd have three more. That's a lot of kids. And I think you guys can all agree that's a lot of kids. So these families <laughs> are stretched super, super thin, though. It's wow. a real practical um, wow. thing going on. And um, they can, from things from meals, um, every home has to have what's called a foster care support system, which means I have to have another family that signs up legally through the state to walk alongside of me, that wow. you are caretakers whenever we cannot. So if wow. an emergency happens and you go outside of town, my five kids can go to my mom's house, but unless my mom is a foster care support system, she cannot care for our children. Wow. And so it, it, there's a lot of things that just disable families and they scare yeah. families away from joining yeah. foster care. One of the ideas is the support system. And so very tangible thing. We've been doing this now for a handful of years. We've never actually used um, our support system, but just offering and being willing to set things yeah. aside for a weekend. If a family member passes away and you need to go to Dallas, whatever yeah. the case might be, um, to have that available to these families are the kind of practical things that'll get them, I think, to, to leap in. That's really, 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 really good. What an incredible way for followers of Jesus to step in and say, there's a need in our community. There's a need in our world, and we're going to meet that need in the name of Jesus. I love that the call has recruited 80% of the foster homes that are open in, in Washington and Benton County. It's amazing. That is amazing. May the church continue to do those things. Thank you guys for sharing. Let's, let's move over here to Brandy and Shay. And, and why don't you just tell us, I mean, what, what is this thing that you're doing? What do you do on Tuesday nights uh, every week, but specifically the once a month that New Heights is, is, is being asked to, to help own this thing. What is happening whenever you're feeding NWA at the Hometown Suites? What does that look like? So We Feed NWA is an opportunity for the community to serve itself. There's one here in Bentonville that uh, we just started in January. Um, and then there's also one in Rogers as well that was started by... Um, Child Advocacy Center, Restoration Village, a couple of uh, really strong women put that together. The reason for it is because um, there's a lot of crime rate in these areas. And so by going in there and just loving on that area tangibly with food, just food, um, hmm. and, and, um, and heart, they're able to help people. Uh, so... 
So you'll go in on a Tuesday night, you're providing a meal, you're building relationships with people, you're making connections to try to, to, to help people in whatever ways they might need to be helped, people who are living in this hotel specifically, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Shay, Shay, why don't you tell me, as you've done this, as you've connected to this ministry, like, how have you seen God, have you seen God move in, in the ways you're trying to love people tangibly here? What does that look like for you? Just examples? Yeah, give me some examples. Down. Yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, okay. So it's, it's so we, we, we take food, but it's really about connections. Yeah. And there are um, lots of construction men in there and stuff that work hard, hard hours and, long, you know, hard work and like they get one warm meal probably a week because they don't see their families until the weekends and stuff so that's been a a big population we've worked with um then there's also I mean we've met a woman who she came to the hotel um she got kicked out of her house and um was having some problems and so Brandy and John had gone up there and talked with her and prayed with her and gave her their phone number, and the next day she called and was like, hey, I need help moving out. She was by herself. She had some kids with, younger kids with her, but, um, and so John Hayward stepped up and got a moving truck and was like, let's go, so moved her out and into a storage unit, and she's right now trying to find a house and stuff, so, yeah, and then there's um, a a mother who's and her husband and their child who've lived in there about seven or eight months, and um, mm-hmm. she's having dental problems, some um, vision issues, and so I've, I'm in the process of we're in the process of um, hooking her up with Hark just for some resources in the community because without insurance, wow. you know, medical expenses and stuff are tough. So, you know, and then we've been walking with people facing addiction and just trying to be there to care for them yeah. and help guide them and just show them God's love, you know? And it can be messy, but, I mean, we're all messy, right? And so we're just there to connect and do wow. what we can. Wow. You shared, some, you shared something in first service that, that I think, uh, I think it, it bears repeating. Tell us about the decision point and, and some of the things that happened in the past, past uh, couple of weeks. Okay. Um, there's a gentleman that we have really um, bonded with. And um, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, it's okay. He graduated from Decision Point this week. And we were really proud of him. Wow. And um, there were three of us that um, went there and sat with him for his graduation. There were three New Heights members. Wow that sat there with him through his graduation and, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. We don't, we haven't known this gentleman for very long, yeah. but we care about him a lot. Yeah. And we hope the best for him. Yeah. Can I just say this? Whenever we step into stuff like this, this is not about projects and, and programs. This is about people. And so the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to step in and just love people to love people wherever they are, whatever brokenness they may be experiencing. And so just what a beautiful example that you guys are living in. And there's no pretense. There's no pretension in the way you're doing it. There's no agenda. It's just, hey, how can we love? How can we serve? 
Uh, I just think that's a beautiful call of the gospel that we're seeing in, in your lives. Tell me this. If there are folks in, in the room here this morning who just want to, to, to step in and serve, they, they, want, they want to do something tangibly, they want to help uh, connect with people and, and love and get outside of themselves, what are some practical ways they can do that, Brandy? Um, so I, I want to make it clear that we are mostly just like everybody else. <laughs> we have about the same. You're a little crazy. You're a little day. crazier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my yeah, husband would yeah. say so. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we do. We only have the same amount of time as everyone else. So we yeah. work. We raise families. We we live life and try to move forward every day. Um, but we also have some time that we're able to share God's love and yeah. show up. Um, wow. So that's what we do. We have uh, been able to go to Hometown Suites in, in Bentonville, and um, they've opened their doors to us every Tuesday. It's been amazing. They uh, have allowed us to serve indoors. And so that looks like um, people saying, hey, I want to cook a meal. And that's hosting a meal for about 80 people is what we kind of target. Um, and while those people are serving the meal, a few of us get to hang out and get to know people, um, pray with them if they let us or ask us to. <laughs> uh, we don't push that on them for sure because yeah. we just want to love them exactly wow. where they are, not wow. chase them off. And um, we feed them. We love on them. We help them find um, roads to walk and, and options to take if they'd like to step out of uh, where they are right then. Wow. Wow. Could you guys give them a big round of applause? Thank you, guys. Thanks. Sean talked last week about being unconvenienced, and love is unconvenient. Love is inconvenient. And I think those are examples of sometimes hard things inconvenience us, but that is exactly the space where love lives, right? Let me end with this. Here's a great quote I read from John Stott in one of the commentaries that I think sums up our message, and then we'll end and pray and worship. It's this. It is our human cowardice which made him, that is God, say, let your light shine before men. And it's our human vanity which made him tell us to beware of practicing our piety or devotion before men. A.B. Bruce, A. Bruce sums it up well when he writes that we are to show when we are tempted to hide and we are to hide when we are tempted to show. Our good works must be public so that our light shines. Our religious devotion must be secret lest we boast about them. May we be the kind of people and the kind of church that lives as if it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. And may we have the audacity to step out and do good in the name of Jesus because the lamb is worthy of our praise. We want people to look at the way Christians live and say, there is something different about them. There's something different about them. But we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about him. And so if you're interested in getting involved with the call or fostering, the Laneys invite you to come over to their, their house and connect with them and ask them questions. Or if you want to hear more about what's happening on Tuesday nights at the hotel, connect with Shay or Brandy, and uh, they can answer any more of your questions. Let's stand. Let me pray. And we're going to enter back into a time of worship. Okay, Lord.
you're good. You love us. The call of the gospel on our lives is that we be a people who live and love differently. And as we do it, Lord, sin is so deceitful. Even sin creeps in when we try to do good things and tries to make it all about us. But it's not. It is about you. It is about the glory of the Lamb. It's for the worth of Jesus. And so would you, oh God, step into the space? Would you convict those who need to be convicted? Would you help us to put feet on this for those who who need to just do something? And then would we be a church that brings glory to your name? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.